Welcome to the Grace Fellowship Church of Ephrata podcast. Our desire is to help you grow in your journey with Jesus, no matter where you are. For more information, please check out our website at www.gfchurch.net. We are starting a series of teaching this week. Uh, and for the next few weeks leading up through Thanksgiving uh, on called In It to Win It. Now, I want to pause before I get into things this morning. Uh, this year, I have been challenging us as a church to live beyond our limits. That's been on a wall back there, a wall out here, and most of us have probably walked by that and totally forgotten about that. We set that challenge out for all of us as a church that this year, we would find ways to stretch us in our faith, to grow in our faith. We want to be ones with growing faith. We want to see what God can do through us because we had a verse, Ephesians 3, 20 to 21, that says, you know what? God can do exceedingly more than we ask or think, but it takes us living by faith, and it's going to take us to be stretched. Now, all this year, I don't know if any of you have noticed, and you probably haven't, a year ago, I had a planning day. I'm actually getting ready to do one this Thursday as well. I get together and I think about, okay, God, what what do we as a church need to be thinking about, addressing, moving forward? Where where do you want me to go as a leader? And uh, this whole idea of living beyond our limits was what was on our heart, my heart. And so I began to think about what do we teach on this year? Believe it or not, I don't just have a hat in my office of these would be fun things to talk about. And I go in and I pull it out. Okay, we're doing one on the end times. Or hey, we're doing this, you know. Um, all of the things that we have talked about this year, whether it was Jonah and talking about loving and reaching out people that make us uncomfortable or people that we might be scared of. Whether it is, uh, let me think, joy. We talked about in Philippians. We talked about how to have exceeding joy even in the midst of difficult times. Everything that we have talked about this year has had one goal in mind. It is that all of us do something to stretch ourselves. That when I give a challenge, that you say, I will see that challenge and I will do it even though it's hard. I don't know if any of you have taken any challenges up this year. It is my prayer as a pastor, you have. I'm not just throwing things out because they're cool or fun or that's what I'm supposed to do because I'm a pastor. I really want to challenge us to begin to get uncomfortable and to get comfortable being uncomfortable by taking steps of faith. This series is going to go along with that. It's called In It to Win It because I want to challenge us all to be living generously it's a time of year when a lot of people are thinking about generosity. We live and we got farm fields everywhere. And this is like the harvest time. So all of a sudden you got all the pumpkin spice everything coming from everywhere. And apples are everywhere. Everyone's having an apple festival, a pumpkin festival, uh, you know, a fall festival. They're everywhere. It's everywhere. And so we know that this is a time of abundance. This is a time when people celebrate the hard labor of summer. And uh, it should be no less for us even if, uh, you know, we're not farmers. I, uh, most of us are not here. But we need to begin to exercise generosity. Growing up in church, uh, any time a pastor said, well, we're going to do a series on money, what do you think that normally was a cue, meaning? Give more. We're short on budget. Oh, man, we only got two months left in the budget here. It's time to give. Well, I'm going to relieve you today. Bob Boyd 
chairman of the deacon board has not freaked out yet. He, he always tells me the only time you need to worry is when I'm worried. And I'm not worried. Uh, though we haven't maybe met budget or we're short on that, we're paying our bills. We're able to move forward and do things as a church, and that is an answer to prayer. Budgets are simply vision expressed in dollars. What do we want to see God do? And we have this vision of it, and we move towards that budget. So I am not doing this series because there's a shortfall and we need people to start cutting checks. That's not it. God is providing, and we thank you for how you support this ministry here. But I want us to go a little further. In fact, I'll say this whole series isn't about you giving more to church. Bob's not here. Notice I said this and he's not here. Um, it's not about giving more to church. It's about giving more to other people and other ministries. So I'm going to say that right out front. I want to challenge you over the series to think about who or what ministry, apart from Grace Fellowship, that you give towards. Okay, so I let the cat out of the bag. That's what this whole series is all about getting us to do. Now, uh, I want to give us some data here. And, and I'm putting this up here for a reason. Um, one, when we normally hear about giving, uh, most churches, and this may be hard for some of you to read, I'll point some of it out. Um, I want to challenge those that are 40 and under, especially in this. And this is about charitable giving. This is some of the data that I picked up this year, that when we look at generations and how people give or how they donate to charities, be it a church, be it something else, uh, how they give is very interesting because uh, obviously the silent generation, those uh, pre that were born before 1945, um, they give a significant amount. The boomers, where are my boomers at? Don't get too excited. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but boomers, uh, you all actually are one of the bigger givers when it comes to charitable contributions to places. You are very generous, and that's awesome. And then you begin to see a little bit of a drop. Me, Gen X, uh, the Gen Xers, we tend to be a little bit less. Millennials tend to be fewer. What's surprising about all this data that they're beginning to see is Gen Z, which are the young kids, okay, uh, what is it, 1996 uh, and beyond when they were born, are almost rivaling the boomers and how they give. Now, granted, they don't have much to give, but they're giving in abundance from what they have, which is really exciting, really exciting. So we're going to start taking offering with our Sunday school classes. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, but this data also broke down uh, church giving. Uh, silent generation gives 60% for church. Boomers, 43. Gen X, 38. Millennial, 32. Gen Z, we don't really have a lot of data on that right now. I see this because giving as well is targeted. In these different generations, the ones, the charities that they tend, apart from church, to give a lot to, silent tends to give a lot more to politics as well as to veterans. Very cool. Veterans Day coming up on Saturday. Uh, boomers tend to give more towards uh, first responders. Uh, Gen X tends to give towards animal rights and environment. Uh, millennial tend to be concerned about human rights, which is wonderful about them. And abuse victims are looking out for those that are vulnerable. Gen Z, the, what we have been able to gather is climate change is a big deal to them. Now, regardless of what you feel on these issues, um, this gives us a snapshot about giving, about generosity. We live in America, country of abundance. How do we give? And I want to challenge all of us to think about this because when I bring up giving or generosity, there's normally three, three types of people here. One are sitting there thinking, well, I'm already giving 10% of good to church and I give every once in a while to some things outside of there. I'm good. 
So I'm just going to sit out these next three weeks and let Dan stand up front and run his mouth. Okay? There's one. Uh, the second tends to be the ones who will resist what is taught. Uh, visiting church for the first time, or maybe it's one or a few times. See, the church is only concerned about money. That's it. I mean, you see all the pastoral scandals. Come on. Really, we're going to talk about this? There are those that are resistant, or sometimes that's also Christians that are like, whatever, they don't need it. Look, we're doing fine. We're paying the bills. They don't need anything else from me. Our charities, they seem to be doing well. They have advertisements on TV all the time, so they can afford that. Obviously, they don't need anything from me. And then the third one, the third group, are the people that actually at a point like this take time to reexamine their generosity. And this isn't just money. This is time. This is your gifts. All of these different things are areas that we are to be challenged in. How am I generous with my time? How am I generous with my gifting? So uh, Jesus had a lot to say, just so you know, about this. And by the way, uh, the kids that are following along in notes, I know Tyler put this in for you. You're going to want to fill in the blank with this. There are 2,300, roughly 2,300 verses in Scripture about money, wealth, and possessions. 2,300. That's a lot. 11 of the 39 parables that Jesus taught deal with money or used money in some aspect to teach a deeper spiritual truth. Jesus talked about it a lot. Not because he was looking for it. If you read anything about Jesus, he didn't have a whole lot. He didn't have a whole lot. He had some people that generously donated to his ministry and helped him and support him. But I believe this. Jesus knew this tendency you and I have to think that if we have a lot, everything's good. I'm in control of my life, and I really, God, you're more supplemental to my life. I'm not desperate for you. We make possessions an idol. And to prove it, we're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we looked at two weeks ago when we finished up our series on worry. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, we're going to jump forward because we were talking about worry and, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. We're jumping back to what set up that talk about worry. Matthew 6, and we're going to start at verse 19. I'm going to take this a little bit at a time and do some explanation with each of it like we normally do. You can follow on the screen. There's also a QR code in the bulletin that you can follow along and go to version and uh, follow along there. Jesus is in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, and he covered a lot of topics in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and he comes to this point, and he says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. We're going to pause there and sit on this for a little bit. Uh, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Okay, uh, one way that you can actually translate the Greek in this, in its original language, is to say, stop laying up for your, uh, yourselves treasures on earth. There was an assumption that Jesus was putting out there that people were really stocking up a lot um, uh, and giving a lot of time and effort to their personal possessions on earth. And he basically comes across and says, not do not lay in the future, don't lay things down. He's saying, stop it. Stop. Why are you doing this? Why are you laying up treasures for yourself on earth that are temporary? That's why he says moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, little uh, cultural thought for you with this. Were there a lot of banks around when Jesus was teaching this? 
They didn't have effort of national over there? Uh, okay, that's, that's a shame. Um, no. The way that you took care of your money and the way that you took care of your valuable, valuable possessions, and hopefully most of us aren't doing this or all of us aren't doing this, you found some place in your house and you hid it there. So your money, uh, your heirlooms, you found the plate, you stuffed them under your mattress. Okay, That was your bank and your protection. And sometimes you would store something valuable somewhere and the environment would affect it and it would rust or moths would get in, destroy a very fancy whatever it is, cloak that you wore. It would get destroyed. This is something that would make sense to the people. He's saying, why are you valuing all this stuff that's temporary, it gets old and it falls apart? I have a banjo in, at my house. This banjo is from 1920-something. It is my grandfather's banjo. I really want to get this thing redone, uh, get somebody to finish it up because uh, it's sentimental value. But you look at this, and it's from 1920. It's 100 years old, and this thing is in bad shape. Now, it was the pride and joy of my grandfather. I hope to give it to my kids eventually in the future, too. See if they can do dueling banjos on it. It'd be wonderful. It'd be great. Family bonding event there. But uh, here's the thing. Um, as valuable as that was to my grandfather, it's getting older and it's crumbling. And you know this. You have things that are valuable to you that get old. And yet we put so much time, so much effort as though it is something permanent that it will never, ever, ever fail us. And Jesus says, stop. Stop. It's all temporary. Rather, you need to do something different. You need to focus on something that has eternal significance. You may not see it right away. You need to have kingdom priorities rather than these temporary illusions of wealth. I want to give you an example, and, and then I have a, uh, our first point this morning. Uh, I'm going to pick on our kids in here for a moment. Those of you that are still in school in here. Uh, if I was to give you two options this morning, and say, if you can somehow get $1,000 from your parents and give it to me, I'm going to give you a 5% chance that you're going to get a million dollars by tomorrow morning. I'll give you a million dollars. Sounds like a good deal, kids? No? Okay. How about this? How about I tell you, get the money from your parents, give me the $1,000. We're going to hide it away somewhere that you're not even going to think about it anymore. And in 30 years, you're going to get it back, and it's going to gain 5% interest. And in 30 years from now, you're going to get $4,468. Is that a good deal? No? <laughs> if you had to pick between the two, would you take the 5% chance of a million or getting $4,468 in the future? Which one? First one? Second one? Most of us adults, <clears throat> which one are we going to pick? <laughs> Second one. We're not going to see that money for a long time, but we know it is earning value. It's earning value, even though we may not see it. And that's sort of a picture of what this is. Jesus is saying, why are you spending your time wasting it on all this money right now? All these possessions. You're giving your life away. You're working extra hours to, to keep up with this. And it's for something temporary. Whereas you could be focused on kingdom principles, investing in the lives of others. That's what you should be doing. And that brings us to our first point this morning, uh, if you're following along and taking notes. A generous heart is committed to the eternal. If you are generous, the eternal is very important to you. 
you know that, yes, you can invest yourself in stuff here and get a lot of money and invest yourself in stuff in that. And I can make an argument for making the most of your money. And sometimes that means you have to spend a little bit more to get something of better quality. Okay, get a Toyota, not a Ford. Did I anger anyone with that? Sorry, that was triggering for some. Anyway, no, but you, you, you want to make sure you're getting the biggest bang for your buck, okay? But a generous heart knows money's all temporary. Possessions, all temporary. Be committed to something that lasts longer. And for us, we know at church, that's lives. Invest in ministries. Invest in our outreach workers that are overseas, that are investing in the lives of others. That's what we want to make a priority. Jesus goes on in verse 21, and I just want to spend a little bit of time on this verse here. Verse 21, he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Ultimately, your heart, your desires drive you to where you put your treasure. It's the, it's the motor and the engine of your life. If you just want a really nice house, a really nice car, be able to do several nice vacations, have your kids wearing really, really good stuff, I'm not saying those are all terrible things. The problem is, is when that owns you rather than the other way around. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. If it's all about here, if it's all about what you want, that is going to own you. And we're going to see that in the next few verses in a bit. How you budget your money tells a lot about your priorities. I don't know how many of you actually do a budget. Most of us, I think, do. Uh, this was a wake-up call for me. Back when I was in Baltimore, Maryland, and I was serving there, um, I was still bachelor, and I was dumb, uh, because I just spent most of my money that I got my check, because... Who's going to need this? We're just going to spend it. And so I was foolish with my money. And it got down to a point where I still had bills coming and I had 100 bucks left in my bank account. And it was a come to Jesus moment. I had a wake up call there that I had to do something different. For me, I did Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. I don't know if any of you have done that. If you, if you haven't, highly recommend it. It costs a little bit of money to do it. It is worth every penny. Uh, financial Peace just tells us how to prioritize what I want and what I need. And when I began to look through my budget, I saw a lot of wants. But I was not putting a lot to a lot of the needs. And I had to restructure and reprioritize where my budget was going. For many of us, I could look at your budget and tell me what your, I can tell you what your priority is. As a church, we can look at our budget and where the majority of our money is going is telling us what our priorities are. We need to consider this that we look at our budget as a tool so that we can generate our uh, possessions, our time, our talent, our treasures in the right direction, that we're investing it in things that are eternal. See, as another pastor I heard said this, he says, we either love money and use people or love people and use money. Did you catch that? Y'all still with me? Making sure everyone's awake this morning, okay? You had an extra hour, I'm telling you. I am vibrant this morning. So we either love money and use people or love people and use money. The question is, which one do we do? That brings us to our second point this morning. A generous heart is motivated by missional priorities. A generous heart is motivated by missional priorities. I talk about the mission of our church. It's to be a church of the community 
on the move in the community till we reach all the community for Christ. Not for Grace Fellowship, for Christ. A generous heart is motivated by a mission. We're given a mission to make disciples. That was one of our series this year. And I guess my question is, is have you done anything? Do you have a disciple yet? Have you been investing your life into someone and helping them grow spiritually? And if not, do you really believe that? We say we do. That needs to be a missional priority. What lives am I investing in? My time, my talent, my treasure. A generous heart is motivated by missional priorities. The kingdom of God is of utmost importance. Verse 22, Jesus goes on. He says, uh, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, some people have been like, what's Jesus talking about here? He was talking about money and all this stuff and treasures and all that. Now, all of a sudden, he's talking about eyes and all of this. This was another illustration Jesus was using to reveal some of a, a truth. How generous we are tells about what's going on in here. In fact, the, uh, the word there for healthy can be translated as generous. If your eye is generous to other people. Your whole body is going to be full of light, goodness, righteousness. But if your eye is unhealthy, if it is stingy, that can be translated. If your eye is stingy and you're a tightwad and you don't want to let a penny go anywhere, not because you're tight on budget, you just don't want to let your money go anywhere. Don't elbow someone next to you, by the way. If you are stingy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And how great is that darkness inside of you? It's not righteousness. It's selfishness. The eye is the lamp of the body. How healthy are you in your generosity? Your generosity and your stinginess ultimately show where your heart is. As Jesus said in the verse before that. He goes on in verse 24 and says this. No one can serve two masters. Uh, you're either going to hate one and love the other. Or... He will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Some versions say mammon in this, which means more of a picture of possessions. You cannot serve God and stuff. That's the Dan Alban version. You can. Here's the thing. He uses the word there, master, which gives this idea of slavery or servanthood that we see throughout Scripture. A person isn't, uh, you know, serving 50% this master and then 50% this master. The master's going to expect 100% of you. If you serve possessions, it has 100% of you, not 50. You may think, oh, I got everything balanced out. I enjoy a little, but I also give away a lot. Who are you devoted to? Who is your master? Is it possessions? Because I'll tell you this. If possessions is your master, you are constantly, let, let me give you another example here this morning. Suppose I say that the budget's doing really well with church today, and Charlene has approved me, and Bob has approved me to give everybody $10,000 today. Before I get that out, that sentence, you already probably have that spent mentally, <laughs> okay? Uh, if we get a raise at work, $10,000, $100,000 more uh, a year, most of the time our mind's like, well, great, I can finally get this, I can finally do this, I can finally get this, I can finally get this. It tends to quickly get spent up fast. That money begins to control us. We become a servant to it. 
We become a servant to it. You may say, well, I'm just going to get a really, 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 really nice car. I just use this as an illustration. I'm going to get a really nice car. Well, really nice cars, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, cost a lot more to get repaired. There's a difference between a repair on a Ford and a Mercedes-Benz, and it's significant. Well, you got the nice car, but little do you know, you have now become a servant to that car because when that car's got to get fixed, you can't just let it go, and it's not disposable. You become a servant to it. Now, you're chained to it. And so again, not that it's a bad thing to have a nice car, but it is something for us that we have to consider that what we open ourselves up to, where our heart is our priority, where we want to spend, if we're investing in eternity or investing in the temporary, we are becoming a servant to it. And I'll tell you one thing, being a servant to eternal values and the king of kings is a lot nicer than being a servant to stuff here on earth and lenders, okay? You can't serve both God and money. We become servants to it all. And that brings us to our third point. A generous heart is all in with a generous ruler, with its generous ruler. You know, I was thinking about this and this hit me this past week. God is a generous God, and I've known that. But think about it. He did not hold back his one and only son for you and for me. God sends Jesus to earth knowing he is the only way that we have that we can be saved. And this most valuable possession he sends into a world that will beat it, reject it, spit on it, and allow it to be nailed to a cross because he loved you that much. I don't know if anyone in here has never made that decision to follow Jesus, but I know this. There is a generous God who gave his most valuable possession, his son, to be abused and beaten solely so you could have an eternity with him. So the relationship could be made right with God the Father. If you have never made that decision, I want to encourage you to follow this generous God by turning your life over to him and turning from a life of living for yourself in sin and saying, God, I'm all yours. You are generous. I will give you my life because Jesus gave his for me. It's my prayer you will consider that today. It is the most important decision you will make in your life. We serve a generous God who set an example of generosity for all of his children. If you are already a follower of Jesus, this is for you. He set the example of what he was willing to give up. How about us? What are we willing to give up for him? Some time? Some of our possessions to help other people who are in need? We should be all in because, guess what? God was all in with us. We should be all in because he was all in. And that's what I mean by we're in it to win it. And that win it is the eternal values of what God has. How can he use Grace Fellowship Church? He has used Grace Fellowship Church faithfully over years before. I, I even was in effort 20 years ago at Bible Fellowship Church, okay? He was using it all the way back then. We, looked, we had the 70th anniversary this year. We look back at how God has used this church to transform lives, not just be a place that people meet, talk, have some coffee, hear Dan talk and sing a few songs and go home and leave unchanged. He has used this church in the past. Is he still? And if he is not, are we being generous towards eternal values? And I'm not, again, trying to hint that we just need to be giving more to church. What are we investing in? 
with our time and our talent and our treasures. It all comes down to our heart. Generosity is a heart condition. And how healthy is your heart? Where is your values? This brings us to our point this morning. The main point. If you want a main summary statement, this is it. Generous people create excess to bless. I was hoping to come up with a real catchy rhyme with that, but I just didn't have the time. So we do have, you know, it kind of rhymes. Generous people create excess to bless. A generous people, and most of the generous people I know, one of them back at our church in Baltimore who I love to pieces, this man lives on as little as he needs to so he can bless other people. He's made it his mission in life to bless people, and he blesses multiple times. Multiple times. He created excess. I don't need this. I don't need to be bound to this. I'll live in a simple house. And now I have more that I can bless people with. That is the heart of a generous person. Some of you know people like that. And I hope it's a challenge for us to live up to the example they have because they're simply following the example of God himself who was generous and still continues to be generous. Generous people create excess to bless. I have a challenge for us this month, and I'm just going to, again, spoil this, that this is going to be our challenge for the next three weeks. I'm not going to change this, so you, can, you know what one of the blanks are when you fill in your bulletin. I want us to really work hard on being the person others are thankful for this month and beyond this month. I want all of us to work on being the one others are thankful for, not so I can go, wow, I'm a great person. Man, look at me. Am I not generous? You know, uh, uh, everyone will just think I'm the greatest person in the world. That's not the motivation. That's earthly motivation, okay? Be the one that others are thankful for. We are so concerned about being generous with what we have and blessing people. We don't care about a payback. We're doing it because we have a generous God, and it's what he calls us to. For some of us, this may look a couple different ways. One, we may have to sit down. We're getting to the top of the year, and a lot of people like to refigure their budgets. We may need to think about how we radically change our budget, that we can create access to bless other people. Again, not just with money. Maybe it's with our time. How can we bless our own families by being more present rather than investing it in something that's going to pay off in the future, we think? How are we doing it with our finances how are we doing with our position? Do I have skills that I can help some of you? Yeah, I know I do because some of you come to me and ask me computer stuff all the time. So, uh, yes, I have skills that I can use to bless other people. What skills do you have that you can help people in the family got to be generous with? Make yourself available to help. What can you do to be generous this month? And be a blessing to other people. Reassess your budget. Reassess your time. Locate an outside ministry. I'm going to have this talk with my kids uh, in this next week. What ministry are we going to work towards either serving at, giving to financially, uh, from what money they have, because I see their birthday cards come in and I know how much they have. Um, but what can we do to give generosity and be a blessing and touch other people's lives rather than just think about ourselves? Who can you bless? Maybe you just surprise some family that you just deliver pizza one night for dinner. I mean, it's not radical. You're not buying them a new house or something like that, but you just buy pizza for them and just say, hey, we thought we'd bring you dinner. Surprise, hope you weren't cooking anything. And you walk away. <laughs> How, what are small things you can do to be a blessing to people that they are thankful for you? Build the habit of generosity. 
because it goes beyond this month. And, and we'll talk more about that in uh, two weeks. I'm going to get ahead of myself. But I'll just close with this story and example. Um, a family is here from, uh, that we attended church with in Connecticut. So uh, they very well may be familiar with this story. When we were in Connecticut, uh, one of the things we challenged our church with was we wanted to find a ministry that was really just trying to get off the ground. And we wanted to surprise them out of our generosity. And uh, we discovered Hartford Rescue Mission. It was up in Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, a man had taken it over. He was an old uh, UConn football player. And he had a heart to turn this into something some of you would uh, remember, Pacific Garden Mission uh, out of Chicago, which this is a place where people who are just trying to get off the streets or trying to get out of drugs could come to. They could live there, get training, get treatment, so on. And it became almost like a, a, a place, a home for people like this. And so he had this heart for this, and I, I stumbled across him and interviewed him, and so I went to the church without his knowledge, and we said, okay, we have one week. How much money can we raise to help bless this person? And he has no idea this is coming. And so we gathered about, it was, I think, $7,000 in one week, which for our church, just being called by surprise, was pretty good. $7,000 we collected, and it was a joy for me because we went, and we actually, I have video of this, but I just got a still frame here this morning, but we had the opportunity to say, oh, by the way, haven't been telling you this, but we heard about your ministry. We want to support it, and we wanted to bless you. So here's the check for $7,000. And after we called 911 to take uh, him uh, from the heart, I'm kidding. No, uh, um, they were totally shocked. And you know what? I'll say this. There's fun in that. That is fun. And I think we need to remember that being generous and being a blessing to others is fun. If we have the right perspective in mind, how can you bless others this month and surprise them with generosity? Let's pray. Father, um, I'm not ignorant. Stuff's expensive right now. I, I see food store prices going up and gas prices going up. and It's kind of a troubling time to think about being generous. And yet, Lord, as we've talked about living beyond our limits, I ask that you would challenge each of us, families, individuals, of how we can be generous with what you have given us, our time, our talent, our treasures, that we would be able to find ways to be generous with them this month, that we could be a blessing, not for our name, but because we serve a generous God. And we want to be generous, just like our dad. I ask, that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, open our calendars and, and whatever else needs to be open, Lord, that we would choose to be a blessing this month. And then we wouldn't just say, wow, that's a cool idea and walk out of here without considering it. God, do something big in us. Remind us of the joy of generosity, the fun. I think that you delighted that salvation was extended to us out of your love for us. It cost your son. May we take delight as we give up things that are temporary anyway to bless others. And so, Lord, we commit this month to you. We want to be in it to win it for your name and your name alone. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for joining us. If you would like prayer, you can send your prayer requests into prayer at gfchurch.net and we will pray for you. If you like this message, don't forget to subscribe on the podcast app, Google or Spotify. Give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram. We look forward to seeing you next week.